I'm glad to be back with you this morning. And I want to begin my message to you by uh, looking at that last phrase, the one that I almost forgot what it was. So I don't want you to forget what it was, that, that phrase that praise Jesus at the end of life's long testing. I mean, in other words, when, when I come to the end of my life, with your likeness, let me wake. Now, for all of you who may be newer to Christian teaching, you may hear a phrase like that, with your likeness, Jesus, let me wake. And it may be a bit unclear to you, but I just want to tell you this. That phrase, it just captures a wonderful part of the promise of the Bible, of the good news of Scripture. I mean, behind that, that thought of with your likeness, let me wake, it tells us something about ourselves that you and I have all, all human beings, we've been made in the likeness of God. We're supposed to reflect that. And yet, as we are, I mean, this means every one of us, including the preacher today, we fall short of that glory of God. We're not all that God would have us to be, but God, hallelujah, he loves us anyway. Loves us so much, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, Jesus, the one who came into this world, and he and he alone lived out that life that we should all be living, but that none of us has. So that's really when we look at Jesus, we see how life is supposed to be lived. And so when we long, when we pray, Lord, it's that likeness, Jesus, it's that likeness that we see in you, that when I am finished with all of the trials of this life, I just pray I'll wake up with, with your likeness being reflected in me. We're, we are praying that the deepest longing of our hearts is to have our lives so made complete that we reflect the very image, the likeness of Jesus. I want you to think about that today. And more than that, I don't want you just to think about that today. I want to bring that right home. So I put a, um, a sheet of paper in the worship folder, and if you didn't get one of these, anybody under 40 doesn't usually pick up anything that you read on paper. So, the re so pick out a piece of paper anyway because on the top you see that phrase, Jesus, at the end of life's long testing, with your likeness, let me wake. And the question that I just want you to be thinking about for just a moment, and in fact, if you can find a pencil or a pen, I want you to jot down a few notes here. What's that going to be like? What's going to be different about you when you wake and actually have the likeness of Jesus reflected through you? or what should be different. Maybe that's what I would say. I want you to begin jotting that down right now. I'll give you a few prompts. Will it be something with regard to your mind? I mean, purer thoughts, motivations, less anxiety, less depression? Does it have something to do with your body? Holier cravings, perhaps? You're still going to have a hunger and thirst, but hopefully would it be more a hunger and thirst after the things of God? Maybe it has to do with your relationships, that those broken relationships will be healed, and maybe you see in you some of the reasons why those relationships are broken. Will that be changed? And at the end of the day, it, it has to do with your character. When you're remade in the likeness of Jesus, will there be no more moral failures? No more having to cover stuff up? <laughs> Let people know what's going on. Uh, no more giving in to temptation. 
godlier desires at the end of life's long testing with your likeness. Let me wake. What, what's going to be different? I want you to jot that down, and we're going to come back to it later. So hold on to that sheet of paper. And all that brings us to the question of the day in this new sermon series, Matthew, that you highlighted, Got Questions. Uh, we're going to be soon launching that new Alpha initiative that the Alpha Initiative gives us the opportunity and gives the opportunity to anybody you bring with you to ask the big questions related to Christian faith and Christian life. And today, I get to begin this series. I've, it's been a long time since this happened. I've been assigned this series. I used to do that, but now, Matthew, I'm going to do what you called me to do. And by the way, I don't think I've missed a single sermon over these past three or four months, and God has given us an incredible pastoral staff here at Lake Avenue Church. Does anybody agree with me when I say that? Oh, man. I have loved the sermons from Pastor Jeff and Pastor Matthew and Pastor Janine, Pastor Chuck, and today I, I feel the weight as I've been given the privilege of opening up this series. And the question that sort of lays the foundation for this entire series is, what actually happens to me when I follow Jesus? I mean, where does this path lead? And if Jesus is going to call me to go out and tell others, what would make me think that if I go out and tell others that, that if you'll join me in this journey of following Jesus, it will be the best and the most important decision you've ever made in your entire life. Now, I'm convinced of that, but we've got to figure out why that is the case. And I'll tell you, that brings us to the text of the day. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Longtime churchgoers, you will have heard this passage before. But it is our Father's word, so I want us to stand so we can hear what God's word says. It's at the very end of the book of Matthew, chapter 28, beginning with verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is the Word of God. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, you may be seated. So you may know that for over 200 years, churchgoers like us have called that passage in the book of Matthew the Great Commission. Uh, that phrase, Great Commission, refers to this charge, this commission, that Jesus gave to what I think were uh, the 500 people who had heard that he was going to meet people back in Galilee. They gathered there after he, after he had died and before he has ascended to the Father. So you have to see it in that point. Th these are some of the very last words that Jesus ever spoke. And you know, if you only have a few words to speak, you don't waste your words with trivial things, right? 
So these are some of the most important uh, words of Jesus that we find. So it's called the Great Commission. And the uh, question that Matthew's asked me to address is, what's so great about it? What's so great about the Great Commission? And in the few moments we have before we receive communion today, I have been trying to figure out how I can really communicate to you that the Great Commission is really great. I mean, it's really great. <laughs> it is great for you personally today, but it's also potentially great for any person that God brings across your path. So we're going to think about it. I thought, how on earth do I bring this together? And I think there is one word there that will help us to understand how great the Great Commission is, and it's, and it's the word that Jesus uses, disciple. Jesus said when people be believe in him and follow him, the word he uses for what we become is the word disciple. And you heard it in the commission, not only do we get to become disciples when we follow Jesus, but we are called to go out and make disciples of other people. So I think we need to ask the question of what a disciple is. Because disciple isn't a term that you're going to hear very much outside of religious settings or church settings like this one. I want to explain it. It, it was common, though, in Jesus' day. Disciples are people who have often been chosen by a well-known teacher or mentor or rabbi to come and learn from that from that, that teacher or that mentor or, or, the, or the rabbi that was there. Uh, many times it happened that very well-known teachers would go and, and see outstanding students <laughs> and ask them to come and follow. But the point is that a disciple not only learns from that mentor or that teacher, but the goal is to become like that mentor and teacher. So do you see, a disciple isn't just somebody who believes something about somebody else. It's somebody whose life is actually shaped and guided and directed by that other person. The disciple has his or her entire life redirected to look much more like the one that they are following. Uh, there is a, a Zambian uh, theologian that I really enjoy. His name is Dr. Joe Campolio. And he put a part of this, I got to hear him in, in my, before I came, came here, and he put a, a little bit of what he thinks about discipleship into the Africa Bible commentary, a commentary I recommend to all of you. This is what uh, Dr. Campolio said. Jesus commands us to make disciples, not just people who mentally believe something. To be a disciple of Jesus involves committing to a process that demands the total surrender of a person's identity, security, and being to the Lordship of Jesus until that person is completely remade to be like Jesus. That's why I sang that song, Jesus, at the end of my life's journey, I want my life to reflect your likeness. A little phrase that helps me to understand what a disciple is this, a disciple learns from in order to become like. You with me there? A disciple learns from in order to become like that person. 
So I'll tell you, becoming a disciple of Jesus happens just like we see it in the Bible. We, we've been living our own lives, self-directed or shaped by the world's patterns, and then we come to meet Jesus. He calls us to himself, and it's a complete redirection, a conversion. We turn from self-directed lives to Jesus-directed lives. We look back, it's, it's almost always happened this way, at the way I've been living before, the path I've been on before, and we see how far we've fallen short even of what we want to be, much less what God has created us to be. And then we find out about the love of Jesus and his willingness to step in and offer us cleansing and forgiveness, and we follow him with the prayer that we will become more and more like him. So when you first believe in Jesus, you make that commitment to follow him. You come alive to God, and he promises you that at the end, he's going to complete his work in you. And so discipleship is that whole journey in between. Discipleship is where you and I are now, because the things I had you write down on the sheet of paper, there are some things that still need to be remade in us. Can I have a witness to, to, about that? It's the journey that takes us from the place of becoming alive to God when you placed your faith in Jesus and what he promises. He is going to complete and finish in your life. It is good news. Now, as I've thought about this over the many years of following Jesus, I've thought there are several phases, and I'll use the word components, of this being a disciple. And I had three words starting with P that might help you. It starts with proclamation. That enters into process, but it's always guided by a promise. Proclamation. It's really what Jesus is getting at when he says, baptizing them when you go out in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing. We had some great baptisms last week. Were you here for that? You, it was a hallelujah service that we had. And what happens is that begins, baptizing begins with hearing the proclamation. As the Apostle Paul would talk about in Romans 10, you can't even believe in Jesus until somebody has come and brought you the message. So it begins with someone actually telling you about Jesus' proclamation, then you receiving that by faith, you, you believing in that, and beginning this journey of discipleship. That, and that's really what baptism is about. So it's, um, it's not just some nice ritual. You saw it last week. When you're baptized, it's like Romans 6. Uh, you go down under the water, and you are buried with Jesus. So that old way of living for yourself that really needs some cleansing and changing, that is dead to God. He sees you in Christ. Then when you come up out of the water, you are risen to walk in newness of life. So it begins with proclamation, somebody telling you about Jesus continues in believing in Jesus, and then it leads into a whole life. So proclamation, and once you believed, there is a process that begins. And Jesus tells us a bit about that. Teaching them, verse 20, to obey everything I have commanded you. Now that process uh, of following Jesus and growing in your faith, it involves many things. Here at Lake, we've talked about these three essentials for you to become a completed disciple of, of worshiping in unity as you're doing. I'm glad you're here. I pray you meet God today. 
of doing life in community, having some people to pray with and who will walk with you and sometimes encourage you and other times exhort you, right? We need that so much. And then the last is service. We have that opportunity to do it. It, it is a process, but at the heart of all of it is what Jesus says, teaching. And, and what we teach is the way that Jesus said we're supposed to live. Whatever I have commanded you, you pass that on because you don't know how to live until you've been taught how to live. And I'll tell you, this, this is a lifelong process. Haven't you found it to be that way? I feel like that song that I sang for you sort of reflects that. There, there is, a, he speaks about a storm as uh, Margaret Becker and, and I think Keith Getty were writing this song, a storm that it feels like in this life that it ups and downs, failures and victories. But it is a process that he promises will be completed. And that brings me to the third. So you have the proclamation, you have the process, but in the midst of all that process and of all the struggles, there is a promise that what you and I cannot do in our own strength, he is there to do. Did you notice it? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I am going to be with you. <laughs> and I'm going to be with you until it is over to the very end of this age. I'll just declare to you, uh, Jesus has the power and authority to finish what he started in you, and if you failed again about something this past week, he still has the power both to forgive you and to remake you. I thought, that, that was a, yeah, that's a good clapping or a hallelujah would be a, a good thing. So I was talking with a friend of mine. He's a theologian at Wheat College, Dr. Vince Bakehout, about how this life with Jesus, where you, we're in a process of of, of mentoring and prayer and teaching and all the things we do, small groups and all these things, and still sometimes we've, we hit those tr trials and struggles and we fail. How this plays out with the promise, come back to church and I declare with you unreservedly, God is not done with you. How does this all play out? And I have a picture of Vince. Did you see it up here? He's, a, he's really a wonderful friend. He grew up in a traditionally black church, he has great familiarity with, uh, our church has, it's changing a lot, but it's been traditionally mostly a, a white church. And he said there's a big difference in this process and promise, the way it plays out in the, in the white church, tr traditionally in the, in the black church. He said in the white church, when it comes to discipleship, we all need to grow, we all know that. And so he feels like the traditional white church focuses on uh, the process pieces, all right, you've got to get involved in discipleship. That means you've got to come to church more often. Uh, you need to write your Bible. You need to have an accountability group. It'd be good if you have a spiritual director or a spiritual guide. And all these things are so important for our spiritual growth. But if that's where our focus is, it, I just get worn out by that. Because when I fail yet again, I think, okay, what have I not done? feels like it's all up to be in my power. And I come back to Jesus, and he says, it's not in your power, it's in mine. <laughs> You've got to get your eyes back on me. But those process pieces are important. Vince told me that in the uh, traditionally black church, the focus is almost always on the promise. And in fact, if you listen to some of the great preaching in black churches, that, that promise always leads in celebration. 
No matter what has happened in the past, God has not given up on me. Hallelujah. And, and you, you celebrate. Did you go back ready to live for Jesus? But if you don't have any of those gifts or utilize any of those gifts in the process, sometimes that's, it's a little bit hollow to celebrate and walk right back where you were before. The point I want to make to you is all three of these components are absolutely essential to our spiritual growth. Proclamation, you've got to hear the gospel or you don't know what to believe. Process, you need to be taught or you won't even know how to live and you won't have the support of God's people that you desperately need. But I'll tell you, in the midst of this world, don't you sometimes need to come to church and just hear the promise again? that if you will confess your sins, he's going to be faithful and just. He'll forgive you your sins. He'll start all over with you until he has finished his work in you. This this is the message that we we want to talk to you about with regard to being a disciple. So I've, I've written down these things. I think it might be helpful to you. See, I threw my notes all off to the side just so I could talk with you. So, so when you say, at the end of life's long journey with your likeness, Jesus, let me wake. I, I feel that is to say, one, you must hear the message of Jesus before you can believe in him. That's the proclamation. You must believe in him before you can become spiritually alive. But when you believe, you need to grow. You can't just stay an infant. And to grow, you have to be nurtured. Nurtured, that includes spiritual practices. That's the process. And as you struggle and come with the realities that today when we have communion, you'll still have things to confess to God, you need to hold on to to the promise, to Jesus' words. I am with you always, and I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Because disciples are those who become like the one we follow. All disciples, brothers and sisters, if you are a follower of Jesus, when Jesus has finished his work in you, you will reflect the ways and life of Jesus. Don't you long for it? Don't you long for it? Well, today's communion Sunday, and it's almost communion time, but there are a couple of other Matthew questions I need to deal with, right? So I'll go at it quickly. So who can be a disciple? Do you notice what he said? of all people. Now, now, to answer that question, who can be a disciple? You've got to think about the, those first disciples, the ones that Jesus himself chose. <laughs> Do you know much about them? They saw him for three years, doing miracle after miracle after miracle. He did what only God can do. They listened to him teach, and even though everybody said, nobody's ever taught like this, he taught as only God could teach. And yet, when when he got up near Jerusalem, they still were as dense as rocks. They had no idea that he was the Son of God or what he'd come to do. And then, of course, when he came to that point of the cross, they absolutely denied him and abandoned him. And even after uh, the resurrection, where were they found? They were found cowering in that room, hoping that the authorities wouldn't find them. All of this is to say, that if Jesus didn't give up on them, there is hope for you and me today. (laughs) Isn't that something you're thankful for? I'll tell you, uh, Jesus does not see any of us who are here today as hopeless because of the failures that we have had in the past. 
I declare to you, he sees you for what you can be if you just turn back to him and allow him to do his work, to recreate you. Jesus never gives up on you. He, he keeps calling you with open arms to repent of what has gone wrong in the past, to believe in him again, and to make a recommitment to follow him as a disciple. There is no one alive who is beyond hope in the eyes of Jesus. The grace of God found in Jesus is greater than your sin, whatever you brought in here, and of anybody else you're going to meet. So the question is, who can be a disciple? And you know what the Bible declares, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Now, now we add to the fact, to that point, that Jesus specifically said, go and make disciples of all peoples. So I'll ask you a question I've asked often in my years with you. Who's in the all? Who, who's in? This is not a really hard question. <laughs> you got, this will change so many things. Uh, Central Americans, Iranians, even though our countries are odds, are they in the all? What, what about those who now consider themselves Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus or atheists? Are they in the all who can be made into disciples becoming like Jesus? What about people who have been in prison or are in prison now? Okay. I'm at a place I can be as controversial as that. What about people who claim different sexual orientations? Are they in the all that in our day and time that we are called to be the ones who are to go into people's lives and make disciples? What, what about Republicans? Democrats, could, could that be possible? Are you in that all? Are you in that all? Your family, your, your boss, your colleagues, are, are you following Jesus as one longing to become more like him? We are among the all, and as he is remaking us, we are the ones called to go out and make disciples of all people groups because Jesus Christ offers the hope of remaking to all peoples. No human being excluded. All people you meet this week can be disciples. Last question. So then, once you be, flows into some doing, it changes your life, what does a disciple do? And I'll put you the command in the Great Commission is this, make disciples. That's the command. But then it has these three phrases that uh, tell us what, what that looks like. You've got to go to them. You've got to baptize them. You've got to teach them. What we see here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, is the beginning of how these very weak and faithless disciples actually begin to be different because of the power of Jesus. It's like he is saying after he has defeated death, now that you know who I am, you go out there and you tell others who I am and what I can do. Make disciples of all nations. And lo and behold, these same disciples that I was sort of mocking just a minute ago for how weak they were, they go out and do it. They become more like Jesus. 
They enter into the lives of people that nobody else entered into, just as Jesus had always done. You know he did that, don't you? He walked into the lives of Gentiles. He walked into the lives of a Roman centurion. He walked into the life of of a woman who'd been taken uh, into prostitution, and he offered them peace and a new beginning. And the disciples started to do this. Read the book of Acts, and you will see it. And here you just see those three activities that we've got to do. Go, go to them. So when you leave church today, I I just want you to know, go out wherever he sends you because isn't it true, just look around us at our church, God sends us into almost every occupation, almost every neighborhood, into every school. That's, That's what he does with this commission. Make disciples of them. And then tell them, proclaim about Jesus to the point where they can believe and then baptize them so that they can be from, as as I often say when we have a baptism, say to everybody, from head to toe, when you go under the water, I belong to Jesus. Baptize them into people who are not just sort of believing that it's true, but belong completely to Jesus. And then teach them. Enter into their lives, walk with them, so that they might understand how God would have them to live. Now, we're going to be talking about this so much more in coming weeks. I'm going to give to Matthew the really hard parts of letting you know how do we go across those lines where we're so divided. You're, you're, you're going to do this exceptionally well, right, Matthew? So we'll pass it on to you. But today I just get to ask this marvelous question. What is so great about the Great Commission? Do you see that it's great for you personally? Did that make sense? Did you get that at the beginning? All those things that you get frustrated with about yourself and and your world, they won't stay that way always. And if you say it's impossible for me to change and for things around me and others to change, you heard what Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I'm going to be with you. You don't go out there alone. All scars are going to be healed. All all fears are going to be taken away. Uh, It's like Jesus is saying, listen to me. I'm going to be with you in this. I, I will be with you, and when you get to the end of life's journey, here's the good news. With my likeness, you will indeed wake. It's good news. Amen? Now, I also said that it's not just good news for you, but it's good news potentially for all people that God brings across your path this week. It, it's, it's amazing to me that even as I'm being remade myself and in the midst of, of places where I'm not yet fully all that God would have me to be, he gives me this opportunity to be involved in what he is doing. In fact, it's more than an opportunity. It is his commission to us. We get to go out and tell other people there's a much better way to live Jesus didn't give his life to ruin your life. You've you've heard me say that to you. He gave his life so that those who follow him might at last begin to live eternal life, abundant life, life to the full. And that's the challenge that we want to give to us as we begin this this new year. Uh, We want to hear again those last words of Jesus, transcending the ages, reminding us, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now you, you go.
make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then enter in, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And when it all seems impossible, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're going to be going to the Lord's table together, so I want you to take out that sheet of paper again, if you have it. I'm looking to see if you're taking it out. All right. I hope you wrote a few things that you think need to be changed in your own life. If, when you're remade in the likeness of Jesus, you might want to add something to that. And what I want you to do now, and as we get ready to receive uh, the Lord's table, is to recommit those areas specifically to the Lord and say, Lord, begin to give victory in that area even this week. Father, I give that to you. Begin to remake even that part of my life, even this week. I'm asking you to make a recommitment to being a disciple of Jesus, being shaped by him, by his teaching, by his ways. On the back of that sheet of paper, I want you to do this now. Can you think of anybody whose life needs to be changed by Jesus? If you can't, are you alive? Can you think of anybody that you just think, so you could probably write hundreds of names now, but I want you to just write down one or two names, one or two names. But in writing it down, I want you to make a commitment to pray for them, but also to ask God to give you opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those people. Take just a few moments and write that down. And I think that does bring us to communion. When I get up here and so fervently declare who's in the all, the big question is how can uh, all of us who are in that all actually enter into the presence of a holy God without being destroyed and receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. How is that possible? And do you know how? It's, it's what we're going to remember. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son who lived the life we should live, but none of us has, but then also was willing to die the death that we deserve, but we don't have to because he did it in our place. And he told us never to forget that when we gather as his people to, to do what we're going to do now, to remember the, the body of Jesus given for us, to remember the blood of Jesus given that is sufficient for your new beginnings, for the cleansing of your sin. And so this, uh, this Lord's table, we're going to ask our stewards now to come to the tables, is something that is for all. It is the Lord's table and it's not ours. So if you are desiring to walk with Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, then we want you to come and remember how that is even possible, that Jesus loved you enough to give his life for you and defeated sin and death by his resurrection. To my far right, you'll see, for those of you who have gluten allergies, you can go there. 
The way we do this here at Lake is that wherever you are, step out from wherever you are and go to one of the nearest tables. We have some up in the balcony as well. Take both elements, both the bread, uh, the matter of his body, and the cup of his blood, and then take them back to the seat with you. If you cannot come forward to get the element, or you just don't want to be in such a public way doing that, then just be that, raise your hand as you see the stewards coming back, and they will bring you both elements. Hold on to those, because this is what knits us together. One body that is formed together through Jesus Christ who gave his body for us. So as the music begins and you feel ready, then step out and receive those elements. I'll come back. I'll come back and we'll receive them.